When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Behind the Screen. I'm Carolyn Jardina, and today our guest is Oscar-winning re-recording mixer Andy Nelson. This season, Andy received his 23rd and 24th Oscar nominations for Baz Luhrmann's Elvis and Matt Reeves' The Batman, extending his record as the most nominated person in sound. Additionally, he now holds the distinction as the third most nominated living person. Nelson has won Oscars for Saving Private Ryan and Les Miserables, and his longtime collaboration with Steven Spielberg has included nominations for movies including Schindler's List, Lincoln, Bridge of Spies, and West Side Story. I'm Carolyn Jardina. Welcome to The Hollywood Reporter's Behind the Screen. Andy, it's so good to see you. Lovely to see you too. Thank you for inviting me. So when you hear it said that you're the third most nominated living person, uh, does it sound real? <laughs> it it kind of doesn't really. I have to pinch myself a little bit. I also sort of scares me how long I've been mixing now. <laughs> That's the other the other thing. But um, no, I mean, it, look, it's an incredible, incredibly flattering, and uh, I um, I've been feel so honoured to have had the chance to work with so many interesting directors and interesting films and for the academy to have recognized those films and put us into that category so um i uh, i'm really grateful for it yeah well there's two wonderful ones this year so let's talk about each of those the first one is elvis which was your third collaboration with baz lerman you also mixed uh, moulin rouge and australia I know that you're a big fan of musicals and musical film, uh, which I'm sure was a factor, but uh, would you tell us about what makes that collaboration with Baz work so well? Yeah, you know, Baz, when when I got the call to to do this picture, which I was very, very happy to do, obviously, uh, because I do love musicals and I do love the, the feeling and emotion that you get from musicals. Um, but Baz, you know, the first time I worked with him was on Moulin Rouge, and that was definitely a baptism of fire because... He is, uh, I've, I've said this before, um, <laughs> I think of him as a creative tornado because he just sort of flies into the room and, and out comes all sorts of wonderful ideas. He, he's just, a, he, he's full of these creative ideas and thoughts and passions. And, um, and I love that. To me, that's the sort of oxygen for me um, uh, that I love. And so... This was um, very similar. You know, it took me straight back to Moulin Rouge in many ways when I first watched Elvis because he he definitely puts you as the audience into that kind of um, 
you know, hang on to your seats a little bit. Particularly the first five or ten minutes of his movies tend to do that. And it's his um it's his way of sort of signing a contract with the audience in some ways. And so um it felt very familiar, um, but I was completely wowed by the film, completely bowled over by Austin Butler's performance. And and from a sound point of view, shocked at how brilliant Austin was at at his vocals. I mean, we used his vocals through the first half of the movie there, you know, obviously we switch over to Elvis. It is a movie about Elvis. So you're going to want to hear Elvis and rightly so, but he holds his own right up to the halfway mark. Um, and the switchover happens sort of seamlessly, um, into Elvis, but it doesn't mean he's gone because clearly, um, there's work to be done throughout all the vocals by enhancing stuff that Austin did um, to, to, to help some of the, the moments where some of the original recordings might not have been so good on and off mic and things like that. And then also, obviously, when there's dramatic moments within the rest second half of the movie where Austin's singing something and talking, then that's clearly Austin. So it's really the main performance numbers that we switch over to Elvis. But yes, lots of challenges um, lots of incredibly fantastic moments, mixing all the um, contemporary artists like Doja Cat and uh, Stevie Nicks and uh, Jack White and people into the Eminem into the movie soundtrack. Um, very much Baz's style of of saying that music is timeless in that sense. Um, and uh, but yes, a, a challenge. But I I loved every minute of it. We had a great time. Well, I was recently at the Advanced Imaging Society Awards, and um, as Baz accepted his award, which was presented by Austin, by the way, um, he actually uh, spoke about you and talked a little bit about how you extracted and used the uh, archival material of Elvis singing and then, you know, as you said, combined it with Austin's voice. Would you elaborate on how that process worked? Yeah, the hardest thing, well, the, the switchover point in the film where, where we do go into, into the real Elvis vocal was the 1968 comeback special. And um, the original audio at that for that was actually a mono from a VHS from the transmission of the TV show. So you can imagine how that sounded compared to everything we'd done in the movie up to that point in full... 9.1 Atmos, and then suddenly here's a mono piece of track with everything on it. So clearly that was going to have to have a lot of work done. So so um, Elliot Wheeler and Jameson Shaw, the two music composer and music producers who I dealt with primarily, they obviously took that track and worked on it in terms of filling out the rest of the band to try and get some enhanced drums, enhanced bass, keyboards, things like that, all use all utilizing the original track all the time, but just sort of you know building from that. And then they use technology, um, a lot of it that's uh, that, that you know I, I don't have to deal with it personally, but they use it through Pro Tools and things where they're extracting the vocal as best they can from the track. Now the danger with that is it's a very clever technology but it's dangerous because if you if you listen to if you go too far it has some very very strange aliasing and weird sounds that have come attached to that vocal where because the um the software is trying to extract it 
and it leaves a trail of, of weird, weird sounds attached to it. So, so what I tended to do on that particular song, and that was the worst of all of them. From then on, the recordings got better. By the time we got to Vegas, we had multi-tracks to work with. So obviously there was a lot more dynamics and a lot more quality we could uh, uh, um, deal with. But the, that, that 68 comeback special was the worst. So, so what I did, I'm, I think I mixed that three or four times because every time I tried it, it, it I, I wasn't happy with it. And it was so hard because I wanted to get his vocal sounding as best I could, but every time I pushed it, just even a tenth of a dB too much, all this weird sort of artifact sound would come with it and and, and make it sound unpleasant. So um, it was a dance. It was a massive dance we did to get that comeback special to sound the way it did. But um, I think we achieved it in the end. Um, and that was the hardest part. As I say, the rest of the recordings just, you know, chronologically got better and clearer and stronger. Um, but that was our challenge, yeah. Having, having, um, having done that experimentation to get the comeback special right, is that a technique that you think you'll use going forward for future movies when, again, story-wise, it's appropriate when you would be using um, archival material? Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's fantastic what it does. You've just got to be careful with it, that's all. It's, it's like anything, you know, it's, it, but it's a wonderful tool. And it just takes a little bit of massaging and work to get it to to really sit the way you want it to. But yes, absolutely, that technology is great. And like all things in technology, Carolyn, it's probably only going to get better and better. They'll keep coming up with newer versions that are going to be even more powerful tools to use, I'm sure. So true. It really extraordinary work seeing those performances. Um, yeah, no, they were great. They were so much fun. And of course, Austin was, oh, and by the way, don't forget that his mic, the original mic he was using, not only was, was he was going on and off mic, the band was was going on and off mic, and there was crowd all over it. So you, you had all those components added together made for a very, very tricky sequence. Um, but as I say, I, I think we were all happy with it at the end. Well, I know, I know you weren't on set at the time, but I mean, just, you know, talking to your colleagues, that must've been really extraordinary seeing that performance with the audience, uh, you know, the production of that scene, those scenes. Well, you know, yeah, I think so. And I think Mandy Walker, the DP has talked about how she built the film cameras inside the fake television cameras to try and capture. I mean, they, there's a whole area there that she she uh, talks about where they developed the look of it so they could capture it frame by frame to look exactly the same positioning where the cameras were and the look of the crowd and and yes his performances i mean austin did full performances of a lot of these songs throughout the film which of course haven't made it into the movie because it would be too long but he um once he got into the performances he would perform the entire song and uh, i know one day Everyone's hoping Basil <laughs> come up with a version with all those songs intact, which would be really fun to see. I was about to ask, could you think of some uh, some good clips for the DVD extras? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, I've never had the luxury of sitting down looking at all these dailies. I wish I could because, you know, by the time it got to me, we were we were in full-fledged, you know, mix the, the, the material we have to the end and, and get it finished in time and as always on a mix you know there's there's a time crunch but one day i want to go back and look at some of that material and when there's time because i'm sure there's some wonderful moments in there yeah they'll come up with a great dvd extra i'm sure <laughs> <laughs> now this year you're also nominated for uh, matt reeves the batman mm -hmm. very yeah. different film very different set of challenges but what is it like first just to work with matt reeves 
I love Matt. He's great. Now, you know, it's so interesting with all the directors. I mean, everybody has a different approach, a different style. You couldn't get two more different styles than Matt and Baz. Matt is um, very, very, he, he comes in, he sits with us. He never leaves the room. He's absolutely focused frame by frame by frame. And we work through the film in a very linear way. What, what we tend to do with Matt is that Will Files, who I mix with, and I've done two or three of, of, of Matt's films with Will, we have a chance, obviously, to go through it ourselves first so that we can get a kind of a, a shape to the reels, a shape to the whole movie. But then when Matt comes in, we just start at the top and we work our way down. And, and he will spend, it doesn't matter how long we spend on a scene, he wants to get the scene right before we're ready to move on to the next scene. We don't dance around the film the way that some people do. And um, it's very intense. It's it's very collaborative. He's always in great spirits about it, and we have a great time with him. But um, a very different approach than than with, with Baz in that sense. Um, uh, but, I, yeah, he's great. He's, he's really, really wonderful and um, really into the detail of, of things. I mean, the Batman track, I, I was really blown away by that when I first saw the film and, and I was very happy the way it all turned out because we were able to get some great dynamics in there. I mean, in fact, funnily enough, I've had two different directors ask me about that. They loved the fact that in the film it would go so quiet at times and you'd hear a distant television way up the end of a corridor or something. And, and uh, a lot of people really appreciated that. And I think that's the craft of Matt and the way it was shot and edited and presented to us to do the mix. Um, it gave us tremendous latitude to have these really wide-ranging dynamics in the film, which I think, given the type of film it was, which was really a detective story, a sort of noir detective story, um, it wasn't what you'd think of as a traditional Batman. Um, it really called for something that had that kind of moody quality to it. And, um, you know, the, the sound of the city and the rain and... Uh, uh, Michael Giacchino's score, which I think is one of Michael's best, and I've worked with him a few times, and he's always good, but boy, did he really pull it out on this one. Uh, the, the, the dimensions he came up with, the incredible, he wrote the, 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 uh, the main sort of theme he wrote before Matt even shot a frame of the film, and he presented it to Matt, and Matt used it on set, um, because Matt fell in love with it. It has such a beautiful, romantic sort of, and yet sad feel to it. Um, and that's used obviously in the film, but then, you know, things like Ave Maria being used over the Riddler and, and the percussive use of, of uh, the music during the Batmobile chase, which was, a that was a fun one to mix. Um, but it was brilliant because again, Michael, he didn't go in for frequencies that he knew would be competitive. He went in for sort of percussive sounds that really allowed the Batmobile to, to live and the chase to sound fantastic. And the music was just there as a kind of, um, you know, a really great reinforcement and a propulsion, but it didn't try and drive it thematically. It was, it was allowing the natural sounds to do all that work. So yeah, that was a, that was a great, great track to work on. I loved it. Since Matt was relaunching um, Batman and, and he really made it his own, what were the things that you talked about at the start that, you know, he wanted to do to, you know, make it different or, you know, like I said, really just make it his own? Well, I think the, I think the, uh, look, I think it was on the screen. The point is that what's wonderful about sound mixing for me, and I'm not a sound editor or a designer, I'm purely a mixer, as you know. So it, it, I am presented with the finished film and I 
the way I view this, I'm always like the first audience in some ways. When I watch the film before I start working on it, I am very, I feel very privileged because I discover the film. I try not to always read a script. Sometimes I do, but generally I prefer not to because I like to see the finished thing. I don't want to have preconceived ideas in my head. So I watch it and I just start to think, how are we going to do this? How are we going to do that? So I think that the the film was was up on the screen. All the answers, as always, were on that screen. And um, it was more or less a discussion of one thing we talked about, for instance, was um, the Batman voice. Now, you know, Rob's uh, performance, that is all performance. I've been asked a few times about what we did to his voice. And if it, the honest truth is we did very little because he performed it that way. And what we did was was retain that performance. What the the, the, the battle I had was getting clarity when some of the busy scenes, because it was such an internal voice, you know, he never projected very much because that was his character. He was, he had, you know, there was a, there was a um, fragmented sort of feel to him. And um, it was about retaining that yet keeping clarity through. So there's some of the discussions I had with Matt in the beginning were how do we, how do we keep that really internal feel to the voice, but still have the power. So we did bring, um, Robin to do a little bit of um, looping to help so that he could recreate the voice, get it into that vocal range, but give me a tiny bit more power so that I wasn't having to sort of sacrifice too many other sounds around it. That was a big discussion point when we started. And I was very, very clear when I screened the movie that that's something we should try and address fairly quickly because I felt that would, could become a problem. And, and we did, um, um, and Matt and Rob were up for doing it and they did it and it was great. So that was the sort of thing where we really talked about the sound of the, of the film and the rest just evolved naturally as we went through the, the sequences, you know, as I say, we, we would sort of search for ideas and things and, uh, and, and if Matt came up with an idea and it needed some recutting and work, then it would be done. And, overnight and the next day we would jump into that scene again and have another look at it and it would be you know very different i mean will did a lot of that with his um the sound when 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 batman puts his hand into the cage to the bats and they're all fla flapping around the room i mean he went crazy with it in atmos it was a great opportunity but it took a lot more preparation so we had to stop down and rethink that sequence for instance so a lot of it like with matt evolves as you do it rather than a preconceived thing. And I think that's great because it has a natural evolution that way. You're very busy. You're also included uh, The Fablemans, reteaming with Steven Spielberg. You did Damien Chazelle's Babylon and the Whitney Houston film, I Want to Dance with Somebody. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. I Boy, what a varied year. My goodness. You couldn't do... Well, yeah. I mean, gosh. Damien... Babylon. I, I during COVID, I went and had lunch with with Damien up in up near his home, and we sat in the garden, um, so we didn't have to wear our masks, and we discussed Babylon before he shot any of it, and um, it sounded such a fascinating project, and uh, as indeed it was as a film, um, certainly divisive in many ways. Some, some people loved it, some people hated it. It's that's life, you know. It's a piece of art whichever way you look at it. And it's a take on Hollywood that, that Damien felt very much that he wanted to, to, to put his stamp on. Uh, I had some great moments in that film. And uh, dynamically, that was a complex mix. 
Justin Herbert's music, very dominant part of the of the soundtrack as it should be because he was being it was being used as a tool it wasn't meant to be underscore it was meant to be corners of the film and and statements um very tough yeah fableman's well you know this my 20th i think it's my 20th picture with steven spielberg so oh. um, yeah i think it was 20 i'm pretty sure and um Boy, what a very personal, personal one this time. What a personal film. I mean, goodness me, he was just, it was extraordinary to be led into that world. And, and I would cautiously ask him many times during this during the mix to say, you know, during this scene, did this really just, you know, did that happen quite? And he'd say, oh, well, yeah, no, because this happened. And and I discovered more and more as we were working on it that everything you were watching was was truly a reflection of of his memory and uh, uh, of his growing up. And so, yeah, that was a privilege to be involved. And well, then the Whitney Houston, yeah, I mean, you know, who doesn't love Whitney Houston's music? What was the most surprising thing you learned about Stephen when you were doing Fablemans? Well, I know how, you know, I've been with him long enough um, to know how emotional he can be. And uh, I mean, I don't think I've ever seen him quite so vulnerable as I did on this one. I mean, Schindler's List was clearly a, a highly emotional film and we were all in tears at times doing that film um, because it's just the ex extraordinary enormity of that picture and, and, and what um, you know what we were watching. But this was something that was very internal to Stephen. So I don't, I, don't, wouldn't, I don't know if I learned anything specific other than that He's just, um, he knew it was the right time to make it and write it with Tony Kushner. And, um, and he, uh, you know, I met both of his parents over the years and uh, um, obviously the sadness of, of, of having lost those. Uh, I think, I think this was his, his, was his sort of, you know, giant therapy session, really, just to make this film and really, you can see elements of this in all of his movies. That's, I think I learned more than anything that whatever you watch in his movies, that the heart of him, which has come out in The Fablemans, was in all those movies to do with his mother and his father, obviously, and his growing up and his love for movies. So, yeah, it's quite an experience. In a few days, we'll be at the Cinema Audio Society Awards which is uh, the annual show for sound mixers for uh, the uninitiated. And um, I know a colleague of yours, Peter J. Devlin, is receiving a career achievement award this year. Love Peter, love Peter. I've done, um, I think, five or six pictures with him, big ones. Um, but what a gentleman, what a sweetheart. And I tell you, his sound that he gets on the set is fabulous. He just has a way, he captures it, such full range material. It's a dream to work with. And uh, I can't think of a better recipient for this award than Peter. I, I can't wait to give him a hug when I see him on Saturday. <laughs> and um, and I know you're already on your next project. What are you working on now? So I've just started just tipping my toes in the water with um, Michael Mann's new film, Ferrari, which is uh, um, a really interesting project with Adam Driver as Enzo Ferrari and Penelope Cruz as his wife. And... Um, it's a period of time in the late 50s when um, the family was in, marriage was in a bit of disarray and the, the factory was suffering and they were planning to do the Mille Melia, the thousand mile race across Italy. 
to try and uh, recapture some some uh, face back in the in, in the in the Ferrari and the factory. I think it's, it's kind of a slice of that, and I've only literally just sort of started to get involved in it. But I, it's fascinating, and with Michael, of course, he gets under the skin of the characters really well. The racing of you know he, he knows how to do racing. So I mean, I think um, I think it's going to be good. I'm really excited about it. Yeah. Andy, it's always good to talk to you. Thank you so much for doing this. Oh, it's lovely to talk to you too, Carolyn, and I really appreciate you doing it, and it was great. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.